what will you have? You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darvetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Stand back, far, far away, family. This is your host, Kyle, and you're about to be floored by Star Wars Audio Archive, the most amazing audio show on the web. So how's everybody feeling out there in the vast reaches of the galaxy? Here on my end, things are just peachy. But I hope you are ready to be enthralled, because this episode is going to be spectacular. I've got a hurricane of excitement for you today. Get ready to take the Star Wars Old Republic by storm. But now it's time to get back to the sea, and I am so filled with anticipation. It feels like we haven't heard anything from this story in weeks. Well, because we haven't. But that is all about to change right now. So get comfortable and let's dive into the Old Republic like Jabba's goons falling into the Sarlacc pit. Are you ready to bring the heat? Then let's get started. Wrath turned Razor's Navicomp loose and it generated a course to Coruscant. Even if Zerid jumped into hyperspace right away, which Brath doubted, Brath's modified Imperial dropship would still beat Fat Man to Coruscant. His work required much travel. Razor had the best hyperdrive credits could buy. When the Navicomp had finished its calculations, he engaged the hyperdrive and the ship blazed through hyperspace. He the cockpit and watched a bulkhead-mounted chrono tick away the seconds, the minutes. After a short time, he disengaged the hyperdrive and the black of normal space replaced the cerulean churn of hyperspace. In the distance... Dayside Coruscant gleamed against the black of space. The planet, entirely coated in duracrete and metal, always reminded Vrath of a giant cog, the mainspring of the Republic. He wondered what would befall the Republic now that the spring had been fouled. For a moment, he turned nostalgic for his time in the Imperial Army, when he had turned Republic soldiers into ragdolls at over 300 meters. He'd had 53 confirmed kills before getting thrown out of the service, and regretted not one. He'd hated everything about the service, except for the killing, and how he felt after winning a battle. He imagined how it must feel for Imperial forces to walk as conquerors on Coruscant's surface, for the Navy to own the space around the jewel of the Republic. Even from a distance, Brath could see the silver arrows of two Imperial cruisers patrolling the black around Coruscant. A third orbited a moon. Ordinarily, a flotilla of satellites whirled around the planet, too. But Wrath saw none. Perhaps the Empire had destroyed them as part of its forced communications blackout of the planet. Two of the dozen or so fighters escorting the nearest cruiser, the new Mark VII advanced interceptors, peeled off and sped toward Wrath's ship. He made sure his weapon systems were powered down and put his communications gear on open hail. Almost before he lifted his hand from the control panel, the Navy pinged him. Unidentified vessel, said a stern voice that sounded like every Imperial communications officer he'd heard during all his time in the Corps. You are in restricted space. Power down your engines and deflect us completely and prepare to be towed. Any deviation from that instruction will result in your immediate destruction. Wrath did not doubt it. Message received. We'll comply. He powered down his engines and deactivated his deflectors. I need to speak to the OIC. I have information of interest to the Empire. The fighters buzzed his dropship. One of them swooped around an under razor. 
as it pulled out in front of him, it activated an electromagnetic toe. A glowing blue line formed between the two ships, and the Mark VII started pulling them through space. The other fighter maintained position behind Racer, so he could blow Wrath from space should it prove necessary. Ahead, the tunnel of the cruiser's landing bay loomed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The fighter pulled Wrath through the throat of the cruiser's landing bay until they reached an isolated landing pad where two dozen troopers in full gray battle armor awaited him, along with a tall, red-headed naval officer. He nodded at them through the canopy, unstrapped from the chair, disarmed himself of both his blaster and his knives, and headed out. By the time Razor's landing ramp clanged off the metal deck of the cruiser, he was staring at the dead eyes of 14 TH-17 blaster rifles. Secure him, the naval officer said. Two of the armored troopers shouldered their weapons and rushed him. He did not resist as one put flex binders on his wrists and the other patted him down. He is unarmed, the one said, his voice the modulated mechanical sound of the helmet's speaker. Search the ship, the naval officer said. I want to see his flight records. Yes, sir, responded the troopers, and seven of them boarded the ship to search. There's nothing of interest aboard, Wrath said. I came from Volta. That's as far back as the records go. The naval officer smiled, a tight, false gesture, and walked up to Wrath. His unwrinkled uniform smelled freshly cleaned. The freckles on his pale face looked like a pox. Wrath could have killed him with a high kick to the trachea, but he thought it unwise. I'm Commander Jard, first officer of the Imperial Cruiser Valor. You are under arrest for flying in restricted space. Whether your punishment is execution or mere imprisonment is entirely at my discretion, and depends upon how satisfied I am with the answers you provide to my questions. I understand. What is your name? Where did you come from? He barely remembered the name his mother had given him. He offered the one his profession had most recently given him. Wrath Sizor. As I said, I flew here directly from Volta. What brought you here, Wrath Sizor? I have information of interest to the OIC. The naval officer cocked his head. Are you military, Wrath Sizor? Former. Special detachment from the 403rd, Company E. An Imperial sniper. Brath was impressed that Jard knew his unit designation. He nodded. Well, Brath Sizor of the 403rd, you may tell me your information. I would prefer to speak directly to the captain. Darth Malgus will not. Darth? The commander is a Sith? Jard looked hard at Vrath. He will want to hear what I have to say, Vrath said. It concerns the Jedi. Jard studied his face. 
put him in the brig, he said to another soldier standing behind Wrath. If Darth Malgus wishes to speak to you, he will do so. If he does not, then he does not. You're making a mistake. Shut up, one of the troopers said, and cuffed him in the back of the head. Three troopers escorted Wrath out of the landing bay and into a nearby lift. Wrath did not resist. It had been years since he'd been aboard an Imperial ship, and they remained exactly as he remembered. Antiseptic, purely functional killing machines. Just like him. This one was a sniper detached from the 403rd, said one of the troopers to another. Or so he says. That true? Said another. I heard things about that unit. Wrath said nothing, merely stared into the tinted slit of the trooper's helmet visor. Some kind of superman is what I heard. The trooper holding his shoulder gave him a shake. This one don't look like much. Wrath only smiled. He didn't look like much, deliberately so. The soldiers checked him deeper into the bowels of the ship. The corridors narrowed, and blue uniformed security personnel started to appear at doors that answered only to certain key codes. Wrath had been in Imperial Briggs many times, usually for insubordination. Before they reached the bridge, one of the troopers, the one with a sergeant symbol on his shoulder plate, held up a hand for the others to stop. He cocked his head to the side as he listened to something over his helmet speaker. He glanced at Wrath as he listened. Confirmed, he said to whoever he was speaking. Then, to his men, Darth Malgus wants him on the bridge. The three men shared a look and reversed course. Lucky you, 403rd, said the trooper holding him. Exploding into motion, Brath drove a kick into the chest plate of the trooper in front of him, sending him flying into the sergeant and knocking both of them hard against the wall. Then he spun behind the third while slipping his bound arms over the trooper's head. He maneuvered the binders under the neck ring of the helmet and squeezed. Not enough to kill, just enough to make a point. The man's gag sounded loud in his helmet. His fingers clawed at Wrath's arms. He was probably starting to see spots. Wrath released him and shoved him away. The entire exchange had taken perhaps four seconds. The two men he'd knocked against the wall had their rifles aimed at his head. Wrath held out his arms for them to take. Don't look like much, he said. Fat Man came out of hyperspace in the Kravos system. Zerid immediately engaged the ion engines and flew the freighter into the system's suit. Debris from a partially dispersed accretion disk around the system's star filled the black with ionized gas and debris. Some fluke of solar system evolution had resulted in an orange gas giant forming a few hundred thousand kilos outside the far border of the disk. Zerid wheeled Fat Man through the swirl, deftly dodging asteroids and smaller particles. He maneuvered the ship to the end of the disk and maintained his position, though it taxed his piloting skill. Now what? Aaron asked. We wait. And when an Imperial convoy heading to Coruscant comes through, we roll the dice. How will we know it's heading for Coruscant? We won't know, strictly speaking. But Imperial Navy regs call for a convoy heading to an occupied world to have an escort of at least three frigates. We see that. 
It's probably heading to Coruscant. And if we don't see that? Zirid preferred not to think about it. We will. What if you're wrong? What if the convoy isn't heading to Coruscant? Then it'll jump where it's jumping, and we'll jump to Coruscant. Bare naked and within range of an Imperial fleet. You're not the modest sword, are you? He tried to convey with his grin a confidence he did not feel. She only shook her head and stared out at the gas giant. They waited. A medical transport came through, and Zirin ignored it. A single cruiser came through later, and still they waited. After several hours, Zirid's instrument showed another hyperspace distortion. A convoy appeared. Three supply superfreighters and four frigates bristling with weapons. That's our ride, he said. You ready? I'm ready, she said. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The lift doors opened to reveal a short corridor that led to the double doors of the cruiser's bridge. A pair of armored soldiers stood near the lift, awaiting Wrath's arrival. Two more stood down the corridor before the bridge doors. The three troopers who had escorted Wrath to the lift handed him off to those in the hall. He's dangerous, the sergeant said. Watch him. Yes, sir, said the two troopers in the corridor, their expressions unreadable behind their helmets. They flanked Wrath, but did not touch him as they led him to the bridge. The double doors opened to reveal the dimly lit, multi-leveled oval chamber of the cruiser's bridge. A score of naval officers, all human, sat at their posts, hovered over their comp screens. A huge view screen to the left provided a magnified view of Coruscant and the surrounding space. The hum of low, curt conversation and the thrum of electronics filled the air. A swivel-mounted command chair sat on the center of the bridge on a raised platform. Commander Jard stood beside it, one hand on its armrest, conferring with the man who sat in it. Jard glanced at Wrath and spoke to the man, whom Wrath assumed to be Darth Malgus. He activated his audio implant to hear the exchange. My lord, Jard said, the prisoner I spoke of is here. Malgus turned his eyes to Wrath. Whatever smugness Wrath had felt over showing up some troopers sank under the weight of that gaze. Malgus rose and strode across the bridge toward Wrath. He stood well over two meters, and the black cape he wore looked like a pavilion tent. He never took his eyes from Wrath's face as he approached. Scars lined his face, and a network of blue veins made a patchwork of his bald pate. He was so pale could have been a corpse, the walking dead. The small respirator he wore hit his mouth and lips, but it was his eyes that cowed wrath. Malgus was all eyes. The sum of him, of his power, radiated outward from his bloodshot gaze. He dismissed the guards who flanked wrath 
and with a gesture, used the force to pry open the binders on Braff's wrists. They fell to the floor of the bridge with a dull clang. You mentioned a Jedi to Commander Jard. His voice, deep and rough, sounded like stones grinding together. I did, my lord. Morgus's mere presence pulled the last words out of him. Explain. Brath found it more difficult than he would have imagined to compose his thoughts. A freighter is en route to Coruscant. A Jedi is aboard. Just one? As far as I know, just one. Yes. Brath said, nodding. A woman. Human. Mid-thirties, I'd say. Long, light brown hair. She's flying with a man named Zirid Kor. As far as I know, they are the only crew. How do you know this woman is a Jedi? Brath was starting to feel cold. He had to work to keep his voice steady. I saw her using a green lightsaber. I saw her do things with the Force. He held up his hands to show Malgus his wrists, still red from the binders Malgus had unlocked. Things like this. Malgus eased half a step closer to Brath, and Brath felt decidedly overwhelmed. Tell me then, Brath Zizor, what else is aboard this ship, and why and when is it coming to Coruscant? Brath bumped up against the doors behind him. He considered lying, but did not think he could pull it off. Ang Spice, my lord. The ship is carrying Ang Spice. He saw connections being made, conclusions being drawn, and more questions forming in the deep wells of Malgus's eyes. This Zirid core is a spice runner? He is. Why would a Jedi associate with a spice runner, Vrath Sizor? I don't know, my lord. And you? Malgus loomed over him, all dark eyes, all dark armor, all dark power. Are you a spice runner? A business rival, maybe? The lie exited his mouth before wisdom could stop it. No. No, I am a former Imperial. A sniper. I'm... I'm just doing my part for the Empire, my lord. Malgus inhaled deeply, exhaled. The mechanical sound heavy with disappointment. You are a poor liar. You are a rival spice runner or a killer in service to one of the syndicates that run spice. Brath dared not deny it. He stood there, frozen, pinioned by Malgus's eyes. When is this freighter due to arrive? And how do they plan to get through the blockade? Brath found his mouth was dry. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> they are coming soon. Today, they must. Because of the Eng spies. Wrath could not meet Malgus's eyes. Yes. I, I don't know how they intend to get through, but I know they will try. Malgus stared at him for a long second, 
that felt like an eternity to Wrath. You will remain on the bridge, Wrath Sizor. If this freighter and the Jedi it carries show up, I will overlook your illegal flight into restricted space. Perhaps I will even compensate you for your service. But if the ship doesn't show, then I will devise a suitable punishment for a spice runner found in restricted space. Does that seem to you unreasonable? Wrath choked on his response. No, my lord. Excellent. Bogus turned from Wrath, and Wrath felt as though the air had become easier to breathe. Malgus took a seat in his command chair and spoke to Commander Jard. Commander, intensify all scanning until further notice. Any unusual readings are to be reported to me. And dispatch a squad of fighters to put eyes on all incoming ships. Most of the fighter fleet is otherwise assigned, my lord. Use shuttles, then. Yes, my lord, answered Jard. Wrath stared at the cruiser's viewscreen hoping that Zirid had not scratched the run for some reason. Or, just as bad, that Zirid had somehow beaten him to Coruscant and already snuck through the blockade. He had never before felt so vulnerable. We have to jump right on their heels, Eren. Eren did not bother to respond. She dwelled in the Force, floated in and on the warm network of lines that connected all things one to another. Her consciousness expanded to see and feel everything near her. She focused on her perception of the passage of time, first on how it felt as she moved through it, then on spreading it, stretching it, until she could linger in a millisecond as if it were a moment, then a minute. To Zirid, it would appear that she were a blur of motion, existing simultaneously in multiple places. To her, it felt as if the universe around her had stilled. She smiled, seeing the moments that hung before her, each millisecond a long moment in which she could think, in which she could act. The effort taxed her, and she knew she could not maintain it for long. Watch the scanner, Zirid said, his words a lifetime in the utterance. She did not watch the scanner. Her body could respond faster than any machine. Instead, she watched the view screen. The Imperial ships had finished their hydrogen skim and now maneuvered into a formation suitable for a hyperspace jump. The supply ships within the ring of the frigate escort. She tensed. They're forming up, Zirid said. The waves of his tension crashed against her, but she damned them off them to disrupt her focus. She watched, waited, waited. As one, the Imperial ships began to stretch in her perception. For a nanosecond, all of them seemed to stretch to infinity, their rear engines a hundred thousand kilometers off Fat Man's bow, their forms reaching across and through an incomprehensible distance. She knew it was illusion that it was a trick of her perception caused by the moment they entered hyperspace, seeming to freeze before her eyes. She engaged Batman's hyperdrive, and the black and white of space turned blue. Now, Aaron, now, Zirid said. But he was far too late. 
they were already gone. She remained immersed in the force as Fat Man surged through hyperspace. The ordinary maddening churn slowed to a crawl of spirals and whirls. The script of the universe writ large in characters of blue, turquoise, midnight, and lavender. She fancied there might be meaning in the lines. An important revelation that hung before her, just beyond the reach of her consciousness. She lost track of the slow passage of time. Zirid spoke to her from time to time, but his words bounced off her perception, ricocheted without her comprehension. In time, something he said penetrated her understanding. Coming out, Aaron. Be ready. She watched Zirid, moving in slow motion, pull back on the lever that engaged the hyperdrive. She readied herself, and the moment the blue of hyperspace started to fade into black, she pushed a series of buttons and switches that turned Batman cold, except for life support thrusters and the small amount of power they need to create an electromagnetic bond. The blue disappeared in favor of the midnight of space, and she returned to normal perception. Engaging thrusters, Zirid said. Well done, Aaron. Sweat soaked her robes, pasted them to her body. She felt as if she had not slept in days. Now it gets fun, Zirid said. The trailing freighter in the convoy, five times the size of Fat Man, flew right before them. They had jumped out within the ring of frigates and gone cold so fast the frigates would not have perceived their arrival. They were directly under one of the freighters, a kilometer beneath its underside, maybe less. In the distance, the metal and duracrete sphere of Coruscant floated in space. The rest of the convoy spread out before them. The trailing freighter's ion engines fired, and it started to head out. Not so fast, Zirid said. He punched the thrusters, and Fat Man lurched toward the freighter until its underside filled their field of vision. It started to pull away. Zirid hit the thrusters again. There it is, he said closing on the freighter's cargo bay. His hands flew over the instrument panel, using one thruster and then another to angle the ship, finally flipping Fat Man over so that her flat ventral side faced a flat spot on the Imperial freighter. As they closed, Zirid flipped a switch, using Fat Man's deflector array to form an electromagnetic field. He killed the thrusters, and they coasted in. Brace, he said. Fat Man closed a few hundred meters more, and then the electromagnetic field did the rest, pulling them tight against the Imperial ship. Aaron felt barely a lurch. As soft as a kiss, Zirid said, and eased back in his seat. He looked over at Aaron, all grins, seemingly unsurprised by his success. Let's take a ride. Malgus felt a flash of discomfort. The irritating needle stab of a light side user. The feeling oddly similar to that which he had felt when he fought Master Zalo in the temple. The feeling lasted barely an instant and disappeared, leaving only a sensory ghost in its wake. Are you all right, my lord? Jard said. Malgus waved a hand dismissively. He sat in the command chair, and the viewscreen of Valor showed the distant silver-and-white triangles of an Imperial convoy just out of hyperspace. Magnify the convoy, he said, 
and the image grew large enough to see the ships. Blocky freighters, escorted by the much smaller, sleeker Navy frigates. He saw nothing out of the ordinary. Jard monitored incoming transmissions and ship's registries from the command lectern at which he stood. All appears in order, Dolph Mulgus? Mulgus examined the convoy's details on his own command readout. They bore medical supplies, spare parts, and a contingent of Imperial soldiers. All perfectly ordinary. They are requesting landing instructions, my lord. Provide it to them. But have the shuttles put eyes on them. We could delay them, my lord, if you think something is amiss. No. Let's get those supplies on the ground so they can be distributed. Yes, my lord. Aaron and Zirid both hunched in their seats and said nothing, as if their silence within the cockpit would somehow assist Fat Man in passing through the blockade. Zirid radiated both apprehension and excitement. The angle at which Fat Man had connected to the freighter restricted their field of vision to 70 or 80 degrees. The system moved into and out of their view, one small slice at a time. The convoy was on an approach vector and moving at less than one half. Aaron could see the tail end of the starboard side of another freighter 15 kilometers away. Can anyone see us? She asked, her voice almost a whisper. Not at that distance, Zirid said. We just look like part of the line of the ship. We'll cut loose during atmospheric entry. Their sensors will be blacked out and we'll be gone before they're wise to us. I think we're going to make it, Aaron. She nodded. She thought so, too. Seconds slogged by, stretched into minutes. We have to be getting close, Zirid said. Motion near the tail end of the nearby freighter drew Aaron's eye. A small ship moved slowly around the freighter. Its tri-winged configuration told her it was an Imperial shuttle. She watched it for a time, unconcerned, until another came into view. This one cruising underneath the freighter. What are those shuttles doing? She asked. He frowned. I have no idea. They watched the shuttles move methodically along the length and breadth of the tail section of the freighter. They're checking its exterior, Aaron said, and she felt Zirid's level of apprehension rise as he realized the same thing. Maybe it suffered damage in hyperspace, Zirid said. Could be they're just checking the one. Could be, Aaron said, and knew that neither of them believed it. Zirid cleared his throat, rubbed the back of his neck. If we get seen, we either make a dash for the atmosphere and try to get lost under it, or we jump into hyperspace. I need to get to the planet. Zirid nodded. Me too. It's unanimous, then. We'll make a dash. Mulgus sat in his chair and watched his shuttle slide around the freighters, sand flies to Banthas. None had reported seeing anything unusual. One of the junior officers on a scanner called Commander Jard to him. The two conferred briefly, and Jard returned to his command lectern near Mulgus. What is it? Mulgus asked. An anomalous reading from the Dromo, Jard said. 
an unusual magnetic signature. Malgus saw Wrath tense and lean toward them. Halt them, and send shuttles over. My lord, it could just be an engine malfunction. Scanner noise. Malgus thought not. Do it, Commander. Jard raised the Dromo and shipped a ship. Frigid Dromo, come to a full stop immediately. He cut off the connection before Dromo's captain could protest, then dispatched the shuttles. If there's anything to it, Jard said, we'll soon know. Aaron and Zirid watched first one, then another shuttle peel away from the other vessel and start toward them. Zirid cursed as their freighter began to slow. Are we stopping? Aaron asked. Zirid nodded licked his lips. I think we go hot right now. I don't want a cold ship when they spot us. If you fire up the engines, their scanners will pick us up. They're going to see us anyway. Those shuttles are coming. Let's fire her up and make our run. You ready? Aaron watched the shuttles close the gap between them. She nodded. Ready. Zero pushed buttons and flipped switches. Fat Man came back to life. The communications officer spun in his chair. Sir, secured communication from Darth Angrel. Shall I put it through? What have the shuttles found? Malgus asked Jard. Not there yet, my lord. Frath turned his head sideways, as if he heard better out of one ear than another. An almost reading just flared and vanished, the scan officer said. Vanished? Jard asked. I'm getting something else, said the scan officer. Darth Melgus, said the communication officer. Darth Angrel insists I put him through. Put him through, Malgus said irritably and slapped the comm button. He put a wireless earpiece in his ear so Angrel's words would be heard only by him. What is it, my lord? Darth Angrel's smooth voice carried over the connection. Malgus, how goes the patrol? I am in the middle of something, Darth Angrel. I beg you to be brief. Before Angrel could reply, the scan officer said, Engines! Sir, I think there's a ship hiding in the Dromo's shadow. That's it, Wrath said. That is them. Alert the shuttles, Jard said. Now! Engines ready to burn, Zirid said. The shuttles, perhaps a kilometer or two away, either spotted them or got word of Fat Man's presence. One peeled left, the other right. Fat Man's thrusters pushed it off the freighter. Zirid engaged the ion drives, and Fat Man screamed through the space between the two shuttles. He throttled the freighter's engines to full and headed straight for the next nearest freighter. Flown with Zirid many times, but had forgotten what an instinctive flyer he was. He seemed to consult his instruments only rarely, instead relying on intuition, experience, and his own reflexes. A bit like force piloting without the force, she supposed. Fat Man twirled a spiral as it closed on the nearest freighter and pelted along its exterior. Give me a hug, Zirid muttered. Aaron gripped the armrests of her chair expecting the red lines of the frigate's plasma cannons to light the sky at any moment. But no fire came. She checked the scanner. 
No fighters yet, either. What are they waiting on? She said. Zerid ran Fatman along the bulkhead of the freighter, close enough that Aaron felt as if she could have reached out and touched it. She imagined the crew of the Imperial freighter ducking low as Fatman buzzed them. Too much traffic, and we're staying too close, he said, whipping Fatman over and past the bridge of the freighter. They don't want to hit their own ships. Jard's voice was tense with urgency. That's a Corellian excess freighter, my lord. Brath nodded and pointed at the viewscreen. That's the one I told you about, Darth Malgus. Shoot him down! <laughs> Malgus used a blast of power to throw Brath against the far wall. Shut your mouth! Are you speaking to me? Angrel asked in his earpiece. Malgus had forgotten about Angrel. Of course not, my lord. Give me a moment, please. He muted the earpiece and eyed the viewscreen. He could not shoot the freighter down in the midst of the convoy. Valor's armaments could inadvertently hit an Imperial ship. The frigates would be in the same situation. Their formation was designed to thwart attacks from outside the convoy, not attacks from within. Keep the ship on screen. Pursue it full and order the rest of the convoy to get clear. Yes, my lord. Jard said, and made it happen. Valor's engines fired on full, and the cruiser lurched after the freighter. Wrath climbed to his feet, favoring his side. Possibilities played out in Malgus's mind. With a Jedi aboard, shooting the freighter down could undermine the peace negotiations. Of course, the mere fact that a Jedi was inbound to Coruscant arguably undermined the peace process already. Malgus stared at the viewscreen, watched the cruiser gain on the freighter. In moments, he would get a clear field of fire. The Empire needed war to thrive. He knew that. He needed war to thrive. He knew that, too. He had it within his power, possibly, to reignite the war. He saw Coruscant on the viewscreen beyond the freighter and imagined it in flames. The flashing light on his console reminded him that Darth Angrel was waiting. Hail the freighter! Jard looked puzzled. I doubt they will answer. Try, Commander. Aaron did not need to consult her scanner display to know that the ships of the convoy were peeling away to give the cruiser and frigates a clear field of fire. Zirin said nothing, merely handled the stick, worked the instrument panel, and occasionally consulted the scanner readout. Fat Man banked hard right, jumped away from the near freighter, and covered the short gulf of empty space between it and the next. Zirid was frog-hopping along the convoy, all while trying to get Fat Man closer to the planet. But the convoy was starting to break up. The freighters and frigates accelerated away from one another, and above them all loomed the enormous bulk of the Imperial cruiser, waiting for its chance. I'm running out of ships, Aaron. We have to make a run for the atmosphere. Before then, the glowing orb of Coruscant's night side hung in the deep night of space. The sun crested behind the planet, and Coruscant's horizon line lit up like it was on fire. Do it, she said. No, wait. They're hailing us. Hollow. You're kidding. Aaron shook her head and Zerid activated the small transmitter mounted in his instrument panel. 
hologram of an imperial bridge took shape. Crew sat at their stations, their images clear in the hollow's resolution. Two human men stood in the foreground. One, a thin redhead in the uniform of a naval officer. One, a towering, bulky figure of a man who wore a heavy black cape and whose eyes seemed to glow in the light of the bridge's instrumentation. The eyes studied Zirid with such intensity that it made him uncomfortable even through the hollow. A respirator clung to the man's face, covering his mouth. His pale skin looked as gray as a corpse's. Power down entirely, said the tall man, his voice as raw as an open wound. You have five seconds. Aaron leaned in close to see the hologram better. The man's eyes moved from Zirid to her, and even across the distance, he felt their power. She recognized him. He had fought in the Battle of Alderaan. He is Sith, Aaron said. Darth Malgus. Motion behind Malgus caught Aaron's eye. A third man, short, arms crossed across his chest. She and Zirid almost bumped heads as they eyed the hollow. Aaron recognized him. So did Zirid, it seemed. That's the man that ambushed us in the spaceport, Zirid said. Wrath Sizor. He alerted them we were coming. Zirid stared at the hollow, then leaned back, eyes wide. Stang, Aaron. That's the same man I saw in Carson's Park on Volta. Where? He knows I have a daughter. You have two seconds, Malgus said. Zirid hit the transmit button. To hell with you, Sith. He cut off the transmission, unleashed a rain of expletives, and put Batman into a rapid spin that turned Aaron lightheaded and would make it as difficult as possible for targeting computers to lock on. Okay, now that was a good part. The journey through the dark and dangerous worlds of the Old Republic is crazy. And let me just tell you, this chapter was a heart-pumping experience like no other. The unpredictable ups and downs had me like, wow, and Darth Malgus's path is one of terror and destruction. But for those who dare to continue the journey, the rewards are great. And now I think it's time for the quote of the week. And this week's quote comes to us from Scott Adams. He said, every skill you acquire doubles your odds of success. What this means is that every time you learn a new skill, you are increasing your chances of success. The more skills you have, the more tools you have at your disposal to seize opportunities. Remember that acquiring new skills isn't just about adding to our resume. It's about expanding our knowledge and our abilities so that we can achieve our goals and make a positive impact on the world. For example, imagine you are an entrepreneur who is just starting a small business selling products online. You're passionate about what you do, but you struggle to gain traction and increase sales. You realize that you need to learn more about marketing and advertising to reach a larger audience. So you start reading books and articles on marketing, taking courses online, and attending workshops and conferences. With each new skill you acquire, such as social media marketing or SEO, you begin to see a notable difference in your business. Your sales start to increase, and you start building a loyal customer base. This is just one example of how acquiring new skills can make an impact on your success. Remember, every skill you acquire doubles your odds of success. So keep learning, keep growing, and never stop pursuing your dreams. 
And I think that's all I have for this episode. Tune in next week for more thrilling adventures as we cover part nine of this epic story. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and it was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic of the Sea was read to you by Jason Ordega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. 